Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna let me for my ambition. Welcome on into episode 142 of the Hoopers Log. It is Friday, May 20th, 2016. Friday! It is Friday on the Hoopers Log on CLNS inside the SeatGeek Studios. My name is Simo Buckets. Yes, episode 142. We're going to preview the weekend for you. We're going to recap uh, the Snooze Fest, the Game 2. We've got a lot of other things to talk about other than the Game 2 previews. I mean, come on now. Those were horrible. You talk about going to watching absolute just direct on the basketball court between those two teams, uh, those four teams, I should say, in the conference finals for game two. And I'll break them down for you here on the show. We've got a lot of things to talk about. Andrew Norris is not here. I am here by myself. Uh, but if you'd like to call in and contribute to my ranting and ranting and conversation pieces that I'm about to bring to you, please feel free to do so. The phone number is 323 642 one five five eight is the number. We do have some breaking news coming into the studio. First thing that I saw right before starting. Yeah, absolutely. First thing I saw coming into the studio, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Tom Thibodeau era, is rudely, rudely awakening to us right now. Tom Thibodeau named head coach literally a month ago today, April twentieth, and he's already made his first major moves. He has already let go of nine people in the front office milton newton the previous gm vice president of basketball operation rob bobcock gone babcock gone vice president of sports performance arnie kander gone assistant coach sid lowe gone director of sports performance coachy sato manager of travel facilities coordinator bill honecker apologies if i messed up his name head of video department and manager of basketball technology bryce long and scouts milton barnes and jason hervey all gone. Nine people previously a part of this whole organization gone. Tom Thibodeau is going to do work this offseason. This organization is building to become a dynasty, flat out. 2016, the youngest team in the NBA, back-to-back, uh, back-to-back rookie of the years in Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns and a couple of other guys, a back-to-back NBA dunk champion in Zach Levine, and they got a big-time draft pick again heading into this season with another big-time pick. They're set up for success, people. They're going to get it done. And this is really – this is like – this is put-up-or-shut-up time for Tom Thibodeau because if this backfires in his face, you talk about a complete 
utter failure and collapse of an organization if this doesn't work out for them. I think it will. I think they'll be okay ultimately. But you talk about putting your balls on the table and saying, look, this is my team. We're going to get it done. I don't care what anyone says. I'm getting rid of the old regime. We're going to win championships down the road, and we're going to do it now. And we're coming into next season trying to win 40-plus games into the postseason. This is our time. Minnesota saying this is our time heading into 2016, 2017. Big. That's a huge, huge story heading into the Hoopers log. Again, if you'd like to call in right now, the show is live. Get in here, people. Come on now. The phone number is 323-642-1558 is the number. We'll get you right on the Hoopers log, and we'll get you on the hotline bling, as Drake would call it. Uh, Kevin Hart, where are you at? Let's get it going. we got a lot of things to talk about today uh, outside of the games that happened the last couple of days between the Warriors and Thunder, and also between the Cavs and Raptors, those game twos that we just saw the last couple of days. No games tonight. We'll talk about that later on. We'll talk about the weekend later on. But Kevin Hart, get it started. All right, all right, all right. You're going to learn today. The all-rookie 2015-16 team has been announced, and it was announced yesterday. First team all-NBA rookies. All-rookie first team. 2015-2016, both Two unanimous picks, no debate. Carl Anthony Towns and Chris Stavs were put on the first-team All-NBA. And what's crazy is, is four of the five guys on the first-team All-NBA uh, rookie, team, rookie team are big men. Nikola Jokic, 73 first-place votes for All-NBA first team. Uh, rookies, Jaleel Okafor also got it. Shocking, I don't know how he did. He was not that great this year. Yes, he had a couple of great games. He was definitely productive. But for how bad that team was, does he really deserve to be on here? I guess if he's just a rookie and you're looking at production value, sure. But from the standpoint of being overall valuable to his team, nothing there. Devin Booker got third. Obviously, how it officially went when it came to being selected, Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Dasperzing is Devin Booker. Devin Booker had 103 first-place votes, uh, 25 second-place votes for the second-team All-NBA. He's definitely deserving of that first team. Uh, he's right there, 103 first-place for all first-team NBA or for the, for the rookie or the rookie teams. Devin Booker, Nikola Jokic, and Jaleel Okafor. That is your first uh, team all-rookie NBA in 2015-2016. This is – okay, see, look. And I'm going to talk about this in a second about the draft coming up in a month. So the month – the draft will come up June 23rd, 2016. We'll talk about that, obviously, over the next month. But this is why this year – last year's draft was not that special. Look, I love Justice Justice Winslow coming into the league. He was not super impactful. And he was the top vote-getter on the second all-rookie team. This goes to show you that really there wasn't that many rookies to get to this year. Outside of Miles Turner on this second all-rookie all, all team, NBA all-rookie second team, you know, outside of Miles Turner, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a wash between everybody. Nobody was really that impressive. I mean, if you have your bottom guy, Willie Cauley-Stein, he had two first-place votes for all-rookie team, uh, all-rookie uh, first team, and then 46 second-place. Look, 50 points overall for Willie Cauley-Stein when it came to uh, the NBA all-rookie second team. And he's the bottom part. Look, that just goes to show you that it was really like eh, heading into this season. I mean, it wasn't that good. Justice Winslow, D'Angelo Russell, Emmanuel Moutier, Miles Turner, and Willie Cauley-Stein are your all-rookie second team NBA for 2015-2016. Other guys that missed it, uh, Frank Kaminsky missed it by three points. Josh Richardson as well. He also missed it by three points. Stanley Johnson, he missed it by uh, he missed it by eight points to get that 50 uh and then trey lyles uh, bobby portis from chicago from chicago tj mcconnell 
Mario Herzogna, again, a lot of people thinking he was going to do well. He, they didn't. He they just didn't get in. I mean, this was this was a uh, this was a very very strange uh, a very strange this this year for the rookies. They just weren't that productive. I mean, Willie Cauley Stein came in at points. Not that he was not. He's a bad player. He's going to be great. I think Willie Cauley Stein is going to be one of the better defenders in the league coming down this you know downtown. But he just was not productive. Manuel Mudiay was totally underperformed this year. Still got on. D'Angelo Russell, eh, 17-win team, eh, not that impressive. People didn't like him, what he did. Justice Winslow, he was – I mean, look, I love Justice Winslow, but he, he was not utilized at all very often this year in Miami. He still got second-team All-NBA uh, rookie. It is just, so to look at it from the perspective of how it was voted upon, look, obviously Carl Anthony Jones, Chris Dastrosingas, Devin Booker, the three most impressive rookies this season. And you might even throw Miles Turner in there. I think Miles Turner got snubbed. He should have been on the second team or first team All NBA rookies. He should have been there. Miles Turner should have been there, and you probably should have put Jaleel Okafor in as second All Rookie. And maybe maybe Nikola Jokic could have been taken out as well. But when you look at the overall voting, look, the guys who should have been on these teams should be there. They're there. Uh, but from the standpoint of the rookie class, not that strong. And I think the future and what holds strong for the future in the NBA, it looks bright. But I'll just be honest, it's not that powerful and people are ripping this year's draft look this year's draft is deeper than last year's draft that's just how the beast is that's just what it's going to look like and uh these guys going forward are going to be good players but i mean come on i mean for the most part they did not impact their teams that heavily when it came to rookies now don't get me wrong these guys aren't expected to be legends immediately i mean they got five years to really grow into their bodies some of them you know willie collie style mal turner d'angelo russell these guys aren't going to be super impactful now and they will probably be impactful for the next three years but two, three, four, four years down the road, five years down the road, that's when you'll totally see who they're going to be. But it's frustrating because it's like, I mean, come on, like Miles Turner should be on first team. He was incredible at some points during the season. Uh, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein shouldn't even be on this list. Um, in my opinion, I think a guy like Stanley Johnson should be on the second uh, all-rookie team. I mean, he should. I mean, he impacted that Detroit team more than we'll know. And for him to get on there, not get on there, it's kind of a slap in the face. D'Angelo Russell doesn't deserve it. Uh, Justice Linzo, no. Emmanuel Moody, yeah, he impacted that Nuggets team, no debate. Miles Turner should be in that list. Uh, I think Stanley Johnson should have been in there. I think uh, I think maybe a guy like Boban Marjanovic should have gotten more recognition. Um, Mario Hazonia, maybe a little bit more. Josh Richardson definitely should have been on the second team All-NBA uh, rookie list. Uh, so you, if you take off D'Angelo Russell or at least put D'Angelo Russell at the bottom, put Miles Turner more higher up, I think you would have had a better list. Definitely a couple guys got snubbed. For the most part, they got it right. They got it right, and, and definitely at the top portion with Devin Booker, Chris Stapps, and Carl. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns and Chris Stapps, is no debate, were uh, should be unanimous on the first-team all-rookie. They're, they're going to be legends down the road. These guys might be great next year. Carl Anthony Towns, in my opinion, when it comes to overall you know, dominance and what he's going to look like over the next couple of years, he might be the best big man in basketball two years from now. I think 2018, two years from right now, Carl Anthony Towns might be making a third-team All-NBA. That's how good this guy – maybe second, maybe even first. That's how dominant this guy looks. He might even make a third-team All-NBA this year. I mean, this guy is a monster. So for him to get on there, obviously unanimous, uh, rookie of the year, unanimous, everything, he, he deserves it. From the standpoint of being a rookie, Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Dastrosing is – no debate on that one. And, and when we get talking about the draft, obviously over time, as time moves forward, again, if you'd like to call into the phone, phone number is 
one five five. We start talking about the draft, and you know we're going to get to these games, game twos from last night, the night before in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals. You know when you start talking about those conf- those conference finals and what they're going. Uh, you know, when you start talking about those games and how poor the Eastern conferences look, you know, I was thinking about it today while I was at work, you know, doing what I do and, and packaging material, what I do. The Eastern conference really has kind of gone through lulls over the history of basketball. Look, I think honestly time we've seen the Eastern conference ever go through was the eighties. Look, you had the Pistons, you had the young bulls when MJ was at his absolute best look MJ was great in the 90s that's when he was winning championships but when it came to his overall you know when he put the whole package together as an individual he did it basically if you want to break down MJ MJ was Russell Westbrook in the 80s and then in the 90s that's when he became Air Jordan that's when he became the legend um obviously that's when he won all his titles in the 90s but in the 80s you had the Celtics you had the Pistons, you had the Bulls, you had the Cavs. Look, people forget about the Cavs in the ni- in the 80s. They had the shooting team. That was an unbelievable team. The Knicks were just getting started. Um, you had some powerful teams in the 80s, super powerful. I think that might have been the strongest time the 80s have ever, uh, the East has ever seen. Then you go to the 90s. Look, look, the 90s, MJ owned the 90s. And – there were some good teams. Uh, the Pistons were kind of on the downfall. The Boston Celtics were definitely falling off. Um, but the Knicks were very strong. The Magic with Penny and Shaq, unbelievable. A couple of other teams that I forget about, obviously. It's been 20 years, and many of you young people listening probably don't know. But the, the East was kind of not as good, not as poor as it is today, but it wasn't as good as it was in the 80s and the 90s. That's just the facts. And it's not the knock, knock Michael Jordan and what he did. He was unbelievable. He, that's, that's, but see, that's what happens when you have such great players. Sometimes they make the competition around them look uh, inept and look bad. And that's kind of where the comparison, look, people start talking about LeBron James being one of the greatest players of all time, and that's not even a debate anymore. And MJ being the, probably the greatest player of all time, MJ made, made with what talent there was in the 90s, which was unbelievable, MJ at times made, made it look easy. And that's kind of what LeBron James is doing now. And look, when MJ left, think about this, the year after MJ left, what was the NBA Finals? The Spurs and the Knicks. And guess what? The Knicks that year, they were the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Think about that. The East fell off immediately. It became a joke the moment MJ left the East. Don't you get the same sense that if LeBron James leaves the Eastern Conference, it's the same exact narrative? Like, don't you get that feeling? I mean, you're watching this Eastern Conference Finals, and it's an absolute joke. I mean, look. It, this is this might be the worst Eastern Conference Finals of all time, of all time. This might be the worst uh, competitor in the Toronto Raptors. We'll talk about it a little bit later, um, and they've been horrendous. But think about the Eastern Conference when MJ was starting to leave, you know, the final couple years of his time there. The Eastern Conference Finals was, was a joke. I mean, yes, mid-portion mid of, uh, mid of the 90s, the East wasn't bad. Early portion of the 80s, uh, the 90s, the East was not bad at all. The, the Knicks, you had obviously the Magic and a couple other teams I'm forgetting to mention, uh, the Heat at times. But for the most part, the East was kind of the way it was in the late 90s, the way it is now. And the, 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 the East picked back up in the 2000s with the Pistons, the Heat, 
the the uh you had Cleveland with LeBron obviously around you know midway portion of the 2000s LeBron and them you also had teams like the Indiana Pacers who were very very tough in the early 2000s um and then you had other teams kind of finding their way and becoming great I mean great great teams the 76ers they weren't that good though. look there was a stretch in time once MJ left the Knicks you had the Knicks in 99 um or nine in 98 when excuse me 99 when the Spurs won it and then in 90 and then 2000 the Pacers look the Pacers were very good but that was kind of an eh you know then you go to 2001 where Allen Iverson literally carried that entire team on his back to get to the finals then the Nets look the Nets weren't great I'm not gonna lie Jason Kidd was unbelievable but the Nets weren't anything special then you saw Teams really come to fruition in the East, the Pistons, the Heat. Those teams started winning championships and becoming formidable opponents for the West. But that was when the East started really bouncing back. You saw LeBron, you saw D. Wade. Uh, I know Carmelo was in Denver, but he wanted to go East because obviously the Knicks. Uh, You saw a bunch of things kind of grappling towards the East getting strong again, and it was. And the East was definitely strong from about 03, 04, basically the the last year the Nets, because the Nets went back-to-back NBA Finals. uh, you know they played 02 against the against the uh, against the Lakers and then they, then they played 03 against the Spurs. 03 was when you saw the East bounce back, and from 03 till about I'd say 2010 2011, the East was back. Then from about 2012 till now, the last four years, the Eastern Conference has been laughable. And and, and to be honest, outside of the Indiana Pacers and with LeBron on the Heat and the now Cavs with LeBron, the Eastern Conference has just been a flat-out joke. And, it, and it, it's because of the lack of talent, the watering down of the league from the standpoint of young talent entering the league not necessarily ready and ready to impact immediately. That's what the East has gone back to. And it's kind of been – it's kind of a trickle-down effect from what happened 20 years ago. Look, the Bulls were great, unbelievable. The 96 Bulls – we're one of the greatest top two now, still probably the greatest team of all time, but the Warriors are definitely closing in with what they've been doing. But the Bulls did that because the East, and I'm not knocking the Bulls. It's just the facts. The East was starting to kind of trail off, and the Bulls took advantage. The Bulls were dominant. The Bulls were unbelievable. But they, they, they kind of did the same thing. You can kind of make the same debate for what the Cavs have done in the playoffs to this point. And, what needs to change, because look, look, MJ dominated the 90s. You can say all you want. LeBron has dominated this decade of basketball. He's going to go to his sixth straight NBA Finals, and he's been to every single Finals this decade outside of the early portion when Kobe won his last championship in 2010. I mean, seriously, LeBron's been to every single NBA Finals since, since 2010, 2011. And it's been his decade, and it will be his decade. And he'll probably keep going to another uh, – finals for the next couple of seasons and what needs to change in the uh and as i was thinking about this what needs to change is when it comes to ratings people are starting to talk about the future of the nba the future of the league you know obviously with with golden state dominating the way they are and and really changing and becoming transformative and uh and when it comes to transcendent in the league with making the three ball relevant super relevant to the point where it's changing basketball and going forward with how dominant the, the Golden State Warriors are and how poor the East is, 
I think when it comes to this new draft class, this is the next draft where it really becomes a transcendent draft. And people are starting to say, oh, the draft it looks horrible and blah, blah, blah. Like, I've said, like I said in the last show, this draft is about six to seven players deep that can transform the league now. And what's going to happen is I think, and I think the media is doing this the right way for multiple perspectives. One, because they want to get Ben Simmons in L.A., but I think the other reason is, is because they want to try and make this draft look horrible which is not accurate this draft is one of the best drafts we've seen in i think five six years i think this is one of the best drafts we're seeing this decade just based upon the fact that ben simmons is walking through that door denzel valentine buddy healed uh jamal murray uh you got you got uh, jalen brown obviously brandon ingram as well i forget to mention the number two pick uh, top two pick in the draft but I think these guys, and, and you can feel it, because, the, because look, something's going to happen either this offseason, next year, sometime over the next calendar year, something drastic's going to happen in the NBA where there needs to be a change when it comes to the seedings or something. Something needs to happen where this draft needs to evolve, where this, this league needs to evolve. And from the standpoint of entertainment, because that's what, that's what professional sports is all about at the end of the day, entertainment, dollars, and, and a business. That's what it's all about. And when it comes to that, I can feel the winds changing when it comes to how this draft coming up in a month is going to impact the league. And I think what the NBA needs to do, and what's going to happen is, and it's been said multiple times, if the Philadelphia 76ers don't pick Ben Simmons in the draft, everyone needs to be fired. Uh, A Tom Thibodeau-type moving needs to happen. Everyone needs to be let go, and that organization needs to be run by the NBA wholeheartedly. Adam Silver should run that organization and get them back to fruition. Because if you don't pick up Ben Simmons, you're, you're insane, you're out of your mind. And what I mean by that is I think Ben Simmons is going to be ripped in the media uh, every single fashion you can think of just because he didn't play great at LSU and just because he didn't show maximum effort at LSU. When this draft occurs and Ben Simmons moves forward, I think he's going to come into the league as kind of a, you know, a, a drama king, uh, a guy who's going to come in, but he's a transcendent talent. And this guy, I think, is going to be viewed as the next villain. And, and rightly so, because of how he's been acting. Not that it's been a bad thing. You know, we've got other guys we're about to talk about here shortly. But I think that when it comes to him being a uh, – when it comes to him being a, a viewed as the, the media narrative, I think that villain aspect, he needs to embrace that. He needs to embrace coming into the Eastern Conference and taking a villain role where people are not going to like him but pay attention to him because he is that transcendent of a talent. And knowing that, and knowing that this draft is going to be huge from the standpoint of rebuilding the league, I think especially on the Eastern Seaboard, you're going to see this draft completely change how the Eastern Conference is going to look for years to come. Maybe not immediately, maybe not a year from now, but two years from now, you're going to see the Eastern Conference get back to fruition because it needs to. Look, the Toronto Raptors are not a formidable opponent against this Cleveland Cavalier team. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This Cleveland Cavalier team is, first of all, people who are ripping them for, you know, criticizing them and saying, oh, they're not really having one of the best runs in NBA history. They're not really doing this, doing that. You got to stop it with that narrative. Look, I understand the East is weak, but they're doing their job at the end of the day. 10-0 in the East, that's what they're supposed to do, right? Aren't they supposed to do that? And they're doing it with ease. Look, they have beaten the the Toronto Raptors by at least a minimum of 20 points the last two games. Minimum. They're doing their job. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And knowing that in that circumstance, you you can't really knock what the Cavs are doing just because they're playing in a weaker conference. 
They're, they're doing their job, and they're going to get ready for the NBA Finals. And even and here's, the, here's the sad part. If they win the NBA Finals and they beat either Golden State or the Thunder, whoever comes out of that series, it's going to be one of those things where people are going to look back and be like, oh, yeah, you know, but they play in the easy Eastern Conference. But that's when the wins will change. And I think the transcendency of this draft coming up in, tw- in a month is going to change the view of what the Eastern Conference is going to look like for years to come. And I think that talent is going to get better. And it's going to, I'm telling you, people, this draft is huge from that perspective. Speaking of the Eastern Conference, though, getting away from you know, what's going to happen here over the next month with you know, guys like Ben Simmons and Buddy Heald and whatnot. Frank Vogel, you talk about jumping on a bandwagon as a fan. Look, if you're just a, if you're just a young kid growing up, you like eating nerds or you know some form of candy that gets your mouth running or you got a sweet tooth like no other and you're a young kid. If there's not a team in the NBA, if you don't like – if you love basketball, obviously listen to the show because you love basketball. But if you love basketball and just everyone in general when it comes to basketball, you just love watching the game, how could you not love what the Orlando Magic are doing? Frank Vogel signed a four-year, $22 million deal to be the head coach of the Orlando Magic after they had Scott Skiles from a year ago. They already improved from a year ago. And now they've got a guy who is a bona fide coach that is going to get this team to the next level. And he's mentioned that. He's already saying that. This team will get over the hump. Hello? And you want to hear an even scarier part? Listen to this roster. I know they have a couple guys they need to re-sign in the offseason. Obviously, uh, Ursan Ilyasova is one of them. He's a big Big re-sign they need to at least make an attempt at. Or if they're not, then I know exactly what they're going to do. Listen to this roster. Tell me if you don't think this roster, either next year, definitely next year, at least making the postseason, or a couple years from now, isn't a championship contender. Alfred Payton, Victor Oladipo, point guard, shooting guard. Then you have whoever's starting at the small forward position, probably Mario Hazonia as of right now, but I'm going to get to a, a statement here in a second. If you're not, you know, agreeance of what I'm trying to say, you'll understand. Ursan Ilyasova, if they re-sign him, if they don't, they have Aaron Gordon. Obviously, should have won the dunk championship, but he's right there, Aaron Gordon. Then you got uh, Nikola Vucevic, one of the best big men in basketball, underrated. No one's really been watching him. Then they got Evan Fournier off the bench. Uh, Shabazz Napier, who's getting better. He's not great, but he's getting better. He's filling into his role. C.J. Watson, who's been fantastic from that perspective. And then if they re-sign Brandon Jennings, I don't think they will. But if they don't, it doesn't matter because they got a couple other guys off the bench. Dwayne Dedman's fantastic off the bench. They got guys off the bench that can play in slots. And Frank Vogel is going gonna, is gonna to utilize them perfectly for what they do. Now, here's my idea, and this is what I want to throw out to you. We got free agency in about – we got free agency in about what uh 11 days and then we got june 30th so we got we got we got 41 days 42 days until free agency hits the nba world and the new fiscal year begins think about this uh the orlando magic if they re-sign or assign Ilias over for the money he's worth and with the big time cap room growing next uh this summer <laughs> listen to this roster imagine this alfred payton victor oladipo backcourt you're set for the next five years, minimum. Then you have, look, Ursan Ilyasova, Nikola Vucevic, two big men that can bang down low. Imagine. Now, the Miami Heat have said this today. Their number one goal this offseason, number one goal, get an interview scheduled for Kevin Durant. Now, now, imagine if Kevin Durant does his – because he's going to do this. He's going to go to every city. He's going to get a free cocktail. He's going to get a free dinner, a free steak dinner on the house from that organization to try and get him to smooth him over to come over to their organization. 
what if the what if the Orlando Magic just kind of step in and say, hey, guess what? We got a, a you ever heard of Frank Vogel? Yeah, this guy's been in the playoffs five of the last six years that he's been coaching. Uh, we got a backcourt. Uh, we got we got a backcourt in in Alfred Payton. Uh, Victor Oladipo, two guys that are fundamentally sound, ready to come into their own, hitting the peak time of their career where they're just figuring it out and they're still young and ready to get it going. Uh, and then we got a and then we got a front court. Uh, Ursan Ilyasova, he can stretch the floor. Nikola Vucevic, he he might be a little undersized, but the guy can bang. He can get you 15 rebounds on on an easy night. Uh, all we need is a score, and uh, we got a couple of guys coming off the bench and uh, Aaron Gordon, Mario Zonia, uh, Evan Fournier. Uh, and a couple other guys, too. Shabazz Napier's kind of stepping in. C.J. Watson does the job. And uh, all we need, Kevin Durant, is uh, is for you to jump on board, sign a max deal for a couple of years, and you can be our Paul George. Think about it. I want you to – and even if they don't get a guy like Kevin Durant, what if Paul – okay, now I know this is crazy, but Paul George, whether he's a free agent next year or this upcoming offseason, I don't know if he is. I don't know if Paul George is a free agent this upcoming offseason. Uh, he might be, but I'm not 100% mistaken. Um, but I'm going to check that out now, actually. But the the point is, is if this Magic team with now Frank Vogel, a, a team that is set in stone and, and really one piece. I'm I'm telling you, as like the Boston Celtics, like a couple of other teams coming up this summer, the Orlando Magic now. With the team that they have put together, uh, Paul George is not a free agent next year, uh, this summer. Uh, he might be a free agent next summer. But uh, if, if the Orlando Magic can squeak in to the Kevin Durant sweepstakes and say, hey, uh, you know, all the things I just mentioned, can you imagine? Uh, okay, listen to this roster Alfred Payton, Victor Oladipo, uh, Alfred Payton, Victor Oladipo, and then you have, uh, then you have Kevin Durant. <laughs> Ursan Ilyasova, and then you have, if not Ursan Ilyasova, then you have Aaron Gordon, baby Blake Griffin, and then you have Nikola Vucevic, and then you got Evan Fournier, C.J. Watson, Mario Arizona, and a couple other guys coming off the bench that, I'm telling you, the Orlando Magic then become an instant team in the Eastern Conference to contend for an Eastern Conference Finals. Now, will they beat LeBron next year? No. I think the Cavs have another window next year to get to the NBA Finals for what they have and what they're doing and how they're growing. I think what's happening now in the East, and they know this, is reloading for 2018. Two, mu- two years from now, I'm telling you, the Detroit Pistons, the Orlando Magic, the Indiana Pacers, there's a couple other teams out there that obviously I'm forgetting. But when you talk about get, Boston Celtics, obviously, there are some teams reloading right now in the East that two years from now, they look like bona fide, ready to contend for a championship teams down the road and the west obviously has that as well but the east is i'm telling you a couple years from now with the couple of drafts we got coming up there is going to be some serious and i mean absolute gargantuan reload capabilities coming up and with this signing of frank vogel to orlando first of all you got to feel bad for memphis because they were in the sweepstakes as well as frank vogel they were in the sweepstakes too and now like i said before last season it looks like the nba is starting to pass up memphis memphis doesn't have a head coach that they want and speaking of Memphis, too, look at the Houston Rockets. I mean, we're talking about how bad the 76ers are. And I've mentioned this, and I said this coming into the show. I said it on Twitter. How, how similar 
from the standpoint of front office perspective, do the Houston Rockets look like the 76ers right now? If you just took out the last two years of success on the court, and I wouldn't even call last year's success for the, for the Houston Rockets, but you look at that, that front office and what they're going through, what they have in the front office with their GM, their, uh, their, their, uh, their number-based, what they're doing, you're looking at a circumstance in Houston, I don't think it'll take long where this team turns into the 76ers, not from last year or a couple years ago, but I think they might turn into the 76ers from 2001. James Harden and a bunch of scrubs. You got Dwight Howard shooting himself in the foot on a daily basis, talking about how he needs counseling and how he, he can't do what he wants to do on the basketball court because he's quote-unquote limited. You got him shooting himself in the foot, having him. He, he's about to, he's about he's about three words away from working at Burger King. I mean, I'm dead serious. This guy keeps shooting himself in the foot, trying to get re-signed to other teams, and he's just saying, oh, "I'm not being I'm not being used well." And oh, and LA I wasn't working well either. And oh yeah, in Orlando they pushed me out. No, dude. At some point, it's a you problem, and you're turning into the problem of of shooting your own self in the foot. So he's a drama king. We all knew about that already, but he's there. He's a drama queen. He's a diva. He got James Harden, who, by the way, is involved with LAPD for his own issues. He's cheating on Khloe Kardashian. He's got his own issues on the court. Literally, 22 seconds left in the shot clock. He holds on to the ball, dribble, 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 as Charles Barkley says. His beard gets in the way. His brain turns off, and all he does is shoot a back step back three and doesn't even move the ball. Guy is an unbelievable scorer. I mean, look, and this is the sad part. And this is why I mentioned the Philadelphia 76ers. And this is no knock on Allen Iverson. I love Allen Iverson. The difference between Allen Iverson and James Harden, though, James Harden kills his team. We, I mean, you've, you've heard it enough. You've heard it from Charles Barkley. You've heard it from national media. You've heard it from a lot of people. James Harden, unbelievable score. Individually incredible. But when it comes to his capability of making his team better, he doesn't. He doesn't make his team better. And what's scary is, is now you're hearing from the national media. You're hearing from people all around the country. You're hearing from basketball pundits, people on Twitter, people who know the game, you know, people who write about the basketball game. They're saying that the Rockets' job, and you're seeing it with all these interviews they're getting. People are turning down the interviews left and right. Really solidified people, people like Frank Vogel, people like Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, people who are, who are just an intellectual beast who know what they're talking about when it comes to the game of basketball, people are turning it down. The Rockets are starting to have to interview people who are assistant coaches just dying for an opportunity. But why would you want that opportunity in Houston? Why would you want to have the opportunity in Houston to have your career absolutely shut down from the start? From the moment you walk into that room, it's James Harden and his giant beard saying, hey, by the way, I'm going to go run around L.A., get arrested by the cops, not wear Adidas when I have a $300 million Adidas deal or a $100 million Adidas deal. I'm going to wear Jordans to a press conference, and I'm going to talk about them. Instead of talking about my Adidas, I'm going to do everything nonchalant. Oh, and I'm also going to kill the team, and, have, and it's going to be my way or your highway. I mean, look, this – the Houston Rockets, how it's all spelled out, not immediately. I think next year they're still a playoff team, and I think they're going to do exactly what they did last year. They're going to play in limbo. They're going to be a 500-ball club. They're going to fight for a playoff spot. They have the talent to compete, but that talent is going to see it sooner or later. And they're, once, they're, once they become free agents and once these, this big money stuff starts coming along, I don't know how long James Harden's contract is, but if that guy's on that team for a long time, you're going to start seeing talent leave that team and you're going to see coaches getting fired left and right because James Harden doesn't agree with them. 
apparently the organization's going with James Harden's word. Can you think of a more toxic environment other than the Philadelphia 76ers? This team down the road, as time moves forward, they might turn into a 25-20 win team, kind of like the Lakers have the last couple of years. Not that the Lakers have shot themselves in the foot. It's a whole different ballgame with what the Lakers have done compared to what the Rockets are currently doing. But they're spelling their own narrative, turning into the same exact circumstance the Lakers have put themselves into. It's a scary circumstance in, in, in Houston right now. And I talk about Memphis, and I talk about these teams. Look, Memphis, great team. They have a front court that's one of the best in basketball. They were hurt last year, but from the standpoint of age, they're getting older. The West is getting older. Houston is shooting themselves in the foot. Utah's young. They're getting better. They're only going to improve. Obviously the, Houston, obviously, the Golden State Warriors are legendary right now. The Spurs, legendary. Greatest organization in sports. The Thunder, where's KD going to go? Russell Westbrook's a free agent in 14 months, or, you know, 13 and a half months from now. You got guys, uh, you got the, uh, you got the, the Clippers. How long is Chris Paul going to stick it out? What's Blake Griffin going to do? Is this core going to stick together? You can feel the winds changing in the NBA. And with this draft coming up, Buddy Heald potentially going to the Celtics or going to some Eastern Conference team. Ben Simmons is going to the 76ers unless they trade the pick and do something stupid. Um, you got guys that are going to go to the Eastern Conference in these draft picks over the next couple of years. And you're talking about the wins will get back to where the Eastern Conference becomes competitive again. And I'm not saying the West is – I'm not saying the sky is falling radio when it comes to the Western Conference. But when you look forward ahead to all these things and these little miniature things, Frank Vogel staying in the East, still a dominant coach. What do the Orlando Magic look like? They look like a team ready to get locked and loaded if they pick up one or two guys in the offseason. Boston Celtics, one piece away. Pistons, one piece away. And not even the Pistons. All the Pistons got to do is wait. They just got to wait it out. The Cavs, still dominant. You got teams building in the Eastern Conference right now that look like pure juggernauts. And the Washington Wizards, if they don't screw up and screw around like they did last year, and they stay healthy and they find a way to pick up a big free agent in the offseason, who knows, maybe Kevin Durant. They turn into a big-time team. The East is, is going to get better. This is definitely a down year for the Eastern Conference. No debate. No deb- this is the worst it's ever looked, ever. I think this is the worst year ever for the Eastern Conference, ever. But they're going to get better, and they're, stra- they're, they're strapping up and getting ready for the future. They are. They really, really are. And a lot of things are going on in the NBA behind the closed doors. A lot of people aren't seeing that you know, if you're not a, 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 a master of all this stuff, you can see it happening. I'm telling you, Orlando, if they get their voice heard in these Kevin Durant sweepstakes, and they can at least pitch him an offer and say, hey, look, you can live in Disneyland for a couple years until – look, they can even pitch him this. If you want to come to an organization, just think about it. Two-year player option, you know, wait for the cap to go up even bigger. Come to Orlando, play with these young guys, help them grow. And, and, and Kevin Durant's a basketball guy. He doesn't care about the money. He's got enough money. Kevin Durant does not play the game of basketball to make more money. I know, he's, I know it's obviously this summer that's what's going to be talked about, but when it comes to his success, I think he wants to play where he can win. And what a better opportunity to go to a place like Boston or Orlando or you know maybe even stick it out in Oklahoma City. But I think down the road, playing in, in – in or maybe even the Heat. Look, the Heat are only going to get better too, and they stay healthy. They're still a great team. They're just, they're just not healthy right now. Um, but if Orlando can sneak their way into that conversation with Kevin Durant, oh, oh, I just mentioned the roster for you. Go look at it. It's scary. Absolutely. And that team in Orlando is set to be good for the next three years if they grow together. 
Imagine Kevin Durant signing a two-year player option and saying, I'll test it out. I'll test it out. I'm in the prime of my career. I'll see what's up. If I don't like it, the cap's only going to be ginormous in 2018. And if I don't like it and I want to go somewhere else, fine. That's cool. Then someone else will see the potential in Orlando, and they might fill his spot. Who knows? I mean, look, if you get a guy like Kevin Durant in Orlando, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. Um, let's recap these games too, shall we? I mean, come on, I've, I've, I've avoided it enough. I've avoided it long enough. Let's talk about these terrible games. We've got about 20 minutes left on the show. If you'd like to call in and talk about these games or talk about anything in the NBA, feel free to do so. The phone number is 323-642-1558. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, praise up. Uh, it is a Friday, Friday. It is a Friday here on CLNS Radio in the Hoopers Log on the SeatGeek Studios. My name is Simo Buckets. We're going to preview the weekend for you as well. Obviously, the conference final game three tomorrow on Saturday for the Cleveland Cavs in Toronto. And then you got game three of the Western Conference Finals on Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, uh, between the Warriors and Thunder. I'm telling you, popcorn, peanuts, Reese's Pieces, get them ready because that Western Conference game three is going to be amazing. But let's pre- let's recap these games from uh, last night and on on Wednesday as well. Uh, let's recap the East real, real quick. Last night, look in the Eastern. Con- I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. The Eastern Conference Finals is over. It's over. Especially if the Cavs win Game Three. If they win Game Three like this, it's over. I don't think they even stand a chance. Last night, the Cavs win in Game Two, 108 to 89. Uh, LeBron James, triple-double, 34 minutes played, 7-13 from the field, 9-17 from free throw line, 11 rebounds, 11 assists, 3 steals. He only had two turnovers. That's ridiculous. Two turnovers off 11 assists? That's stupid. 23 points, triple-double, 15th triple-double of his career. The only person he trails? Magic Johnson. Think about that. 31 years old, he only trails Magic Johnson in triple-doubles in the playoffs. Stupid. Absolutely stupid. Oh, and by the way, he also passed Shaq. Think about – okay, I want you to think about this. Tim Duncan, in his final, probably his final game of his career about a week ago, literally, literally just about a little over a week ago, Tim Duncan was fifth all-time in points scored. And Tim Duncan has been in the playoffs every single year of his career, every single year of his career. Guy who leads all-time in games played in the playoffs. He, uh, he, he leads in, in, I think, rebounds all-time in the playoffs, blocks all-time in the playoffs. Guy is an unbelievable legend LeBron James just passed Tim Duncan a couple days ago and Tim Duncan's had a 18-19 year career in San Antonio and LeBron James just passed him and he's 31 I know LeBron's been in the league since he was 18 but I mean that's that's stupid I mean that's flat out stupid and and then to make it even to make it even more amazing LeBron James then he then passed Shaq last night for fourth all-time in scoring in the playoffs you know who he trails Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Kobe Bryant, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, not Magic. Maybe it is Magic. But either way, that's ridiculous. LeBron James is a living, walking legend in front of us. And I know he's going to be humble, and he's going to say, oh, you know, we had Kareem Kareem Abdul-Jabbar there at the end of the game, right, uh, shaking our hands as we left. You know, all that good stuff. But, I mean, LeBron is unbelievable. And he made another crazy dunk last night, a reverse, you know, on the break, reverse backhand dunk, two-handed, getting the crowd pumped. I mean, this game was over again early, early. And it, look, and here's the crazy part. This is how unbelievable, and I just talked about it, how the Eastern Conference looks poor, but 
this Cavs team has been so dominant that they even got a guy in in an all-star in Kyle Lowry. One of the best – look, this is probably – I don't know anymore now because this is probably – this team's probably going to break up now. I mean, look, uh, DeRozan's leaving. He's gone. And Kyle Lowry, if he's going to stay in Toronto, I don't know if they're going to be any better if they lose DeMar DeRozan. I mean, they're they're a team that relies heavily – on their on their starting lineup. I mean, granted, the bench scored thirty, you know, almost forty points off the bench last night, thankfully, but you know they rely heavily on their starting lineup. Kyle Lowry with four fourteen from the field last night, and he got mentally sidetracked. This guy was stressed out, nervous, upset, you name it, and they were better than the Cavs in the regular season. Only one game back of the Cavs by the end of the year. And they don't look like anything. Look, this is just to show you how bad the Eastern Conference is when you got a guy like Kevin uh, Kyle Lowry losing his mind in the middle of a game. Absolutely lost his mind. He lost it so much that he had to leave the game midway through the second quarter because he was he was he was stressed, and he was he was over he was just overthinking and overcompensating with things. Come on, man. Like people have been saying all day and like people have been saying throughout the national media. I mean, how, how can you do that? You have all summer to think about what's going on. Maybe he just – maybe in all of – and this is what I can think of because this is what the whole, whole conversation has been around this Eastern Conference Finals. I think he's starting to recognize that guys like DeMar DeRozan are leaving. This team is kind of going to be in flux now next year. This was kind of – this was Toronto's year to make the impact that they have. And I think they've hit their ceiling. The Toronto Raptors – hit their ceiling and they have hit their their mark of their window opportunity and I think Kyle Lowry recognizes that now this is as really as good as it's going to get for Toronto and they stand absolutely no chance and the scariest part is too and I think this is what was all going through Kyle Lowry's head he won't admit it because obviously he's a professional and he's got a lot of other things to worry about other than uh, ruin his 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 uh, his national media spotlight in this Eastern Conference Finals but I think he also recognizes the things I just mentioned. Orlando, they're only going to get better. Detroit, they're only going to get better. Boston, huh. I mean, shoot, if DeMar DeRozan goes to Boston, look, they're already better. I mean, I'm not saying DeMar DeRozan's unbelievable. I think DeMar DeRozan's stock has severely dropped this playoffs with how he's played. But the Boston Celtics, those three teams I just mentioned, they're going to get better overnight. The Wizards are, are going to get back to the playoffs. This Raptors team... And the Raptors team is only going to be worse next year unless they make a big, huge signing in the offseason and they, and, they, and they boast their team and they get a new coach. I think, I think Dwayne Casey's gone after this year. I don't know how Dwayne Casey comes back. Look, I know this is the best team in Raptors history, but when it comes to the feel of this team, they just don't have that feel of they can go any further than where they're at. Unless they play the Cavs in the regulars in the postseason, they have no chance. Like they, if they play the Cavs in the postseason like they are right now, they, they have no chance ever. They won't beat teams that have more talent than them because for some reason this team just doesn't gel well together when it comes to their ability to compete with teams more talented than them. They just don't. They can't. They hit their ceiling this year. And I think Kyle Lowry's recognizing that this is the best it's going to be for a while. And knowing what the future holds, which he shouldn't be thinking about that. He should be thinking about what's in front of him and having an opportunity to try and at least win games to get to the NBA Finals. But the, the, the moment is now, Kyle Lowry. Don't think about the future. I think he, at times, while his team's getting their ass handed to them, getting beat by 35, and LeBron James is running down the court doing, you know, oop-de-doop dunks and, you know, getting ready for Space Jam 2, I think Kyle Lowry was thinking about the future and getting in his own head and freaking out at a time when it's just not appropriate to think about those things. Stay in the moment. Get better. 
stay after the game and shoot jumpers. Do what you got to do to get better. Don't think about the moment in the future, but it's hard not to when you're getting your ass beat by 30 in the second quarter. It's really hard. But see, he's getting paid millions of dollars. I'm not. That's for us to think about. He doesn't need to think about that. He needs to think about his money. He needs to think about his career. He needs to think about what he's doing in the moment. And what he's doing in the moment is not helping his team. And that's by freaking out and getting emotionally involved in something that he can't control. Control your own narrative, Kyle Lowry. Don't worry about what's going on. The front office will figure it out for you. And if you don't think they will, then why did you sign a big-time contract last year or the year before? So the Raptors got their butts demolished, and I feel like that's going to happen again in Toronto. I know I think Toronto's going to win at least one game in this series. I, st- I know that's crazy. People are thinking I'm crazy. I picked, I picked the Cavs in five. I still think Toronto's going to bounce back find a way to test Cleveland at least once in it. I mean, come on, it's got to happen at least once. But I, I still wouldn't be shocked if the Cavs swept him. I mean, especially after what we've seen the first two games. Again, Cavs win last night, 108-89 to in game two. They go up 2-0. They're going back to Toronto. They play tomorrow. Uh, that game will be tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time on ESPN uh, for game three in Toronto. Cavs lead the series to nothing. Game two of the Western Conference Finals. You talk about another snooze fest. Now, Outside of probably a four- to five-minute stretch in that game, this was actually a very good game uh, up until the end of the third because once the fourth quarter came, I mean, it was over. I mean, it was hand, hands down, the game was over, and the Oklahoma City Thunder had no chance. With about ten minutes left, I mean, the Thunder pretty much pulled their team, and Golden State pretty much pulled their team. I mean, it was over with about ten minutes left. And, you know, this game was really a 40-minute ball game until the last eight, ten to eight minutes of the ball game. Golden State winning 118-91. to This game came down to two moments, and – I'm going, to give, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to give praise to a guy that I absolutely don't like. And it's not because I don't think less of him or whatever. It's just I don't like that he takes poor shots. But uh, on Wednesday night, I, I'm going to give credit to him now. 15, look, and this is how the game was decided, really. The, the Thunder made their run in the second quarter. The first quarter, Golden State held serve. They were up 27-20 going into the second. And then you saw Oklahoma City getting into their grinded out you know, drive it down the throat of the other team, use their size, uh, rotate on, on the plays, you know, use their, use their depth, their length, everything they can to be competitive in this series. And they did that. They absolutely did that. Then, all of a sudden, with about two minutes left in the quarter, that was when, that was when the Thunder had the lead. You saw the Thunder, for some reason, go back into character because they've been playing out of character lately because they've been so controlled lately. They got out of control made three horrible decisions on the offensive side of the floor, turning the ball over, and the Warriors went on this crazy run to close out the half. I mean, crazy run to close out the half. They were up eight going into the half, and and the Thunder really just kind of gave it away the final two minutes to let them go back up eight. I mean, the Thunder were up one. They took their lone lead in that that game late, you know, in the the first half. And then all of a sudden the Warriors went on like a 9-0, 10-0 run to close it out because the Thunder went back to being the Thunder. They just coughed the ball up. They weren't in control. They were trying to drive to the rack, shoot uncontested threes, get out in the break when they didn't need to, going one-on-four, doing crazy stuff. Kevin Durant not being able to drive the lane, Russell Westbrook being Westbrook again. I mean, that's what happened. And the Warriors went up at the half. They went up, they went up 50, 57 to 49, and it, it looked like the Warriors were going to go back to you know being a team that was going to – going to win this series or take the lead again but it was a closer game at the half so you thought oh the thunder just had a really bad end of the half that's okay billy donovan's going to get them settled down get them ready and get them back into it coming out of the break 
the Thunder found a way to kind of cut it close. They cut it back to what it should be. They found a way to dominate and, and, and really get, you know, really get the, the Warriors in check. They did. You have to admit they did. They found a way to keep the Warriors in check, at least early on in the third quarter. I mean, they made some runs. I mean, uh, you, you know, obviously Clay Thompson made his shot, but then you started seeing the, the, the Thunder find a way to chip away and, and try to make it within single digits. And they, and they did, they, they got close. And, uh, and even on uh, Robertson made a, made a play where he made a driving layup to cut it to seven, but that was with seven minutes left in the quarter. And that was when Steph Curry went on, uh, in my opinion, look, everyone talks about the overtime a game he had against Portland, I think it was game five, where he went absolutely bonkers, game four, whatever, uh, and he went absolutely bonkers. I think uh, this, this, uh, this two-and-a-half, three-minute stretch for Steph Curry, or 118-second stretch that he had in the third quarter was the most – honestly, if you put that on a vine, that two-minute stretch for Steph Curry, that was the most impressive uh, – that was the most impressive stretch I've ever seen. And it was from the standpoint of him taking effective shots, shots in rhythm, uh, shots that were very, very good quality looks. It was incredible from the standpoint of the guy absolutely took over the ball game and dominated from about the 709 mark all the way until the 547 mark in the ball game or 511 mark in the ball game for a two minute stretch. It was Steph Curry's. It was Steph Curry. He went on a run where the team was only up seven fifty uh, after Robertson made a shot. 64-57, all of a sudden the game went from 64-57 to 79-59 with 5-11 left in the third. A seven-point ball game stretched back out to a 20-point ball game all because of Steph Curry. That right there was the reason why this was a 27-point victory for the Golden State Warriors, was because of Steph Curry and the final two minutes of the first half. Those three to four minutes of the ballgame, five minutes of the ballgame, was the reason why the Thunder got their, their butts handed to them. And if you want to be 100% honest, I think if the Thunder would have found a way to keep it under control at the end of the first half, keeping it at least close or cordial in going into the half, you know, even if they're down one or two or up one or two or whatever, if it's close, I think this game is a little different. But that does not take away what I saw. And you have to factor in that Steph Curry had a really bum elbow after diving into the stands early on in that game. And he hit all those shots with – I mean, did you see the knot on his elbow? Good Lord. I mean, you talk about bum elbow. This guy went crazy. And, I mean, what was it? What was it, 15 points in a, in a, in a, in a two-minute span? It was in – and look, I don't give praise to Steph Curry very often, but that was legendary. I think that was the greatest two minutes he's ever had in his entire career. Every shot he shot was, was a good quality shot off screens. He even bragged in front of uh, Serge Ibaka when he made his shot. And that was a good contested shot, but he made it. And it wasn't, I know he's done this all year, but that was a good quality shot. Every single time he shot the ball in the third quarter, good quality. And I'm one to rip him for his bad quality shots, but he was unbelievably impressive. Unbelievably. And I know he's been impressive all year, but for me, as a Steph Curry hater, and I hate Steph Curry, I I give him all the praise in the world. That That was absolutely unbelievably impressive. Unbelievably impressive. And uh, he outscored the Warriors, or the Thunder, excuse me, what, 15-2 to two in, that, in that span? It was, it was absolutely incredible. And, and that really was the difference in the game, last two minutes of the, se- of the first half, and that, that stretch run by Steph Curry. That was what decided the ball game. And if, and if the Thunder would have found a way to at least – I know you can't stop Steph Curry. I know you can't stop him. 
But if they could have at least, I, I guess, weathered that storm and maybe bounced back a little bit, maybe making it a 12-point game instead of a 20-point game. Because if, if the Thunder don't, go, don't screw up in the first half, you know, at the end of the first half, and they find a way to weather that storm of Steph Curry, I think the Thunder have a chance to win that game, if not keep it close. And they'd really start to scare Golden State. But now everyone's back on the bandwagon, oh, Golden State's going to be fine, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't take it that easy. I wouldn't say it's that easy for them. But from the standpoint of, you know, those five minutes that I just mentioned, this really was a good game. Outside of the final eight minutes of the ballgame where no one played, I mean, this was a great 40-minute ballgame outside of that. Those five minutes and the eight minutes of the end of the game where no one played, this was a good game. I mean, if those 35 minutes of the game was heavily contested. The only problem is the Thunder have to find a way to manage portion of the ball game where they can keep it under control. And then they've proven that they can't do it for long stretches, but for some reason the last five games they did it. they got to get back to that. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they'll be fine. But, again, that just goes to show you the greatness of the Warriors. You cannot let up and give them any kind of breathing room to do anything that they want. You have to. You have to play your game. You can't match them. You can't try to outthink them. And you can definitely not try to be risky against them or else they will definitely make you pay. So, again, the Warriors go up 2-0. They go back to Oklahoma Sunday. That game is played on Sunday. We'll be back on Monday, episode 143. We're not done with the show yet. We're going to recap something and give you – uh, USA, Team USA, they have their schedule out now for the Olympics. Here it is. Team USA is going to be in Group A in the preliminary rounds. I know for you that don't know what am I talking about, Team USA, the Olympics. They're, on, they're in August. Game one for the, for the Team USA, 6 p.m. Eastern time, USA plays China on August 6th, Saturday. On Monday, August 8th, USA plays Venezuela, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Then on Wednesday, August 10th, USA plays Australia, 6 p.m. Eastern time. And then on Friday, that's when you start to see uh, games start to go. I think USC is going to play another qualifying team that hasn't qualified yet. They play Friday, August 12th, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Then again, they play again on Sunday, August 14th. Then Then that's when the quarterfinals begin. Wednesday, August 17th, I believe Team USA will play. Then the gold medal game is on Sunday, August 21st. This was all announced today. We'll get more into that next week on Monday, but that's what the Olympics are going to look like. I'm so excited for the Olympics, and I am so pumped to talk about world ball in the Olympics for the Summer Olympics 2016. This weekend, I just mentioned it, we got a couple of games going on, game three of the, of the, of the conference finals. We will recap those for you on Monday May 23rd, 2016, episode 143, same time, same place, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, another 60-minute edition of the Hooper's Log. My name is Simo Buckets. Thank you for listening. If you want to check out my Twitter, at SimoBuckets253, that is my Twitter. Uh, if you want to check out the, 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 the Hooper's Log Twitter, at uh, TalkBballNow, uh, that's my guy, Andrew Norris. He runs that uh, on the Now. That is the Hooper's Log Twitter. If you want to go find that, go follow them as well. Um, my website, SimoBuckets.com, our website, uh, our website, thehooperslog.com. If you want to check out any of our articles, I know they're a little bit dated. We've been very busy. A lot of my guys have been busy. We got Calvin on the thing, Calvin Paul the dude. We also got Michael Hicks, who's our editor-in-chief. He uh, helps write, he helps uh, edit the articles that we have in front of us. Uh, and for the most part, everything else is all really set up and, and ready to go. I'm excited for the for the conference finals this weekend. I think the Cavs win Game Three. I think the I think the I think Toronto will finally make it a close one. We got about a minute left on the show. 
All right, all right, all right. That's not the right button. It's Friday. Gonna learn today. It's it, it's Friday. It's Friday. That happens. Uh, we got about a minute left on the show. Uh, I think the Cavs will win Game Three, but I think it will be definitely the closest game of the series. I think the Cavs will. It'll find a way to keep it close. Not the Cavs, but the Raptors will find a way to keep it close. But I think the Cavs will ultimately prevail. And then the Western Conference Finals, Game Three. Woo! I'm getting pumped. I'm pumped about it, man. Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City against Steph Curry. Ooh, it's going to be amazing. I'm excited for it. I don't know who's going to win. I really don't know who's going to win. I'm pulling for the Thunder, but I think the Warriors will get it done, and I think they'll find a way to grab back home court in that one. But that's all you got. Episode 143 will be on Monday, the 23rd of May. Catch me here. Same time, same place. Thank you again for listening. Have, have a great weekend. Go outside, enjoy yourself, and have a fun one. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I love you all. Have a good one. Peace.